relative humidity is 70%. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My guest presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be looking at alleged collusion in the local property market after the Competition Commission announced legal action against one of Hong Kong's biggest group of property agencies. The group is alleged to have engaged in price fixing with another of Hong Kong's biggest property agencies by agreeing to retain at least 2% commission in a move which may have forced some property purchasers to pay more for their homes. The agency says it reserves the right to challenge the legal action. And there's controversy over the leniency granted to the other agency in return for cooperating with the Competition Commission. So what do these events tell us about the state of the local property market? How common is price fixing? And how does Hong Kong compare with other jurisdictions? Later in the program, we're going to talk to some local delegates ahead of the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai later this month. You can let us know what you think on both topics. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. The number there, 233 88266. Our guest in the uh, main segment of the, uh, the, the show this morning, we have uh, Lester Lee, Executive Director, Legal Services of Competition Commission. And we also have uh, Peter Churchhouse, founder of Portwood uh, Capital, and uh, Sandra Marco Colino, who is Associate Professor at the Faculty of Law at Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, uh, Lester Lee. Let's uh, start with you. Um, um, welcome to Back Chat. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us about the significance of this move by the Competition Commission. So um, I think in terms of enforcement action-wise, um, this marks probably one of the fastest cases which the Commission has ever bought, um, from investigation to the, tri- uh, to the actual filing of the case before the tribunal. And a lot of that has to um, do with the success of our leniency policy and the role which um, Centerline has played as the leniency applicant in this, in this case. So in terms of agency development, this is very significant in terms of developing our know-how and uh, how we best deploy the leniency as a tool for investigation. But in terms of actual um, the case itself uh, and the actual uh, difficulties um, in the sort of legal questions which the case may, may, may throw up, um, I would probably say this is more like a usual um, uh, enforcement action which the Commission can see and has been taking throughout the years. Mm. Now, this system of uh, rebates and probably of property agents um, <laughs> um, cooperating in terms of how much those rebates are, this has been going on in Hong Kong for years and years and years, hasn't it? Well, uh, definitely in terms of uh, the evidence uh, that has been shown in this case, um, we, we don't have evidence of any uh, sort of collusion before um, the, the facts of this case. But certainly in this case itself, we, we, we do see property agents getting together, um, talking about uh, the difficulties in doing business, and then eventually coming up with a solution by way of collusion in order to drive up their profits. So, so the, this leniency uh, uh, policy that's, uh, that's kind of... Uh, is- Pique people's interest, uh, of course, that, uh, that somebody gets off uh, free and the other one gets uh, gets punished. Uh, I mean, is this is this uh, widely used, um, and and how does it work? I mean, um, did you uh, did you put some pressure on them? So definitely, it is a widely used tool. Um, it's a tool that's been uh, in existence for many, many years now. And you can see across the globe that uh, law enforcement agencies on the competition front has have used leniency as a very powerful weapon against uh, uh, cartel conduct. And essentially how it works is it provides a very clear and transparent uh, way 
for undertakings, i.e. businesses that are currently engaging in uh, cartel conduct, collusion, to come forward and essentially to assist the law enforcement agency to investigate and to prosecute the uh, relevant cartel conduct in exchange for beneficial treatment, and in, in this case being the immunity from penalties. But you, you went to them and offered them that. You, you would have, I mean, they didn't come to you originally and said, like, listen, I want to rat out my competitor. Uh, you would have gone to them and say, hey, are you going to cooperate with us? We'll, met, we'll be lenient on you if you do. Well, actually, according uh, to, to how, to the nitty-gritty as to how this um in this particular case, the leniency uh, agreement came about. Uh, I'm afraid I can't divulge, but as per our leniency policy, um, usually, actually, it is the businesses that come to us and actually say, hey, look, uh, I realize that I might be doing something wrong, and uh, I'd like to uh, assist the commission in exchange for favorable treatment. Mm. And the evidence that you had was really strong. You had a letter or something or like something that went around the agents. You had found really strong evidence. And that what was, was that? only a year ago. I think that's where you referring to the beginning, right, about how you moved so fast. The initial letter was a, a year or so ago, wasn't it? That's correct. And that was a strong letter. I mean, uh, have you published a letter? I mean, are you going to show it to people what that letter said? Yes, yes. Actually, uh, it's, it's not so much as a letter as um, internal memos yeah. um, issued by the uh, estate agent companies uh, concerned. Uh, it's, so it's internal memos essentially directing their uh, frontline agents that, hey, you can't um, you, you must actually ensure that the uh, estate agency retains at least a 2% commission, otherwise you need um, special director approval. And what, had to, what was the peculiar feature in this case was that you see uh, the two main uh, estate agent groups actually issuing uh, similar internal memos in almost similar wording uh, on the same day, and that's what piqued our interest. Ah, okay. That's okay. Now, let, let's get, get into the implications for um, people who bought homes while, while these... Uh, collusion was in force. I mean, I think you've been quoted as saying that Centerline don't get off scot-free, right? I mean, if individual purchasers, it's, it's, still, it's still open to them to pursue the property agents involved, right? That, that's correct. So um, take Midland, for example. So in the event that the tribunal is, eventually agrees with the commission and says, actually, you know, the relevant conduct is a contravention of the first conduct rule, i.e. the provision that uh, uh, is um, outlaws cartels, then uh, anyone that believes that they suffered loss or damage as a result of the conduct can bring uh, what we call follow-on proceedings before the court and essentially claim for the loss and damages. Mm. And in relation to Centerline, um, in the event that the commission is successful against uh, Midland in this case, in the event that someone does subsequently come forward and bring such a follow-on action, the commission has the power under the leniency agreement to compel uh, Centerline essentially to admit to the contravention of the case, admit to a set of agreed facts that would actually form the basis or assist uh, subsequent uh, home buyers um, to actually also bring case uh, a, a, a private action against uh, Centerline. But the 2% two, two commission, I mean, that has been the standard in the market for many decades. I mean, but and the practice of negotiating discounts on it was if, it was well known as, as, a, as a discussion you would have with a uh, real estate agent. So, I mean, it, it, it was agreeing not to give discounts. It was not uh, setting the 2%, was it? So that's, that's, um, that is, in, in essence, what the conduct is about. So by setting a minimum profit, which you're supposed to retain, you are also actually directly restricting the amount of rebate you can give to the end purchases, and there lies the harm. 
Now, um, more, this is one specific but very important issue within the, uh, the property market, but um, I, I noticed that uh, the statement by the Competition Commission said that um, real estate and property management is one of the top sectors where the Commission received the most um, number of complaints. Um, do, you, are, do you think there'll be other areas you need to investigate as well? Well, I think definitely we we have made um, livelihood issues uh, one of our enforcement priorities, and I think anything that touches upon um, you know the relevant day-to-day lives of Hong Kong citizens, I think that's that's something which we we expect um, to see complaints on and uh, to be one of our enforcement priorities going forward. Still, so is that renovation work? Is yeah. that uh, property management work? Um, what are the areas where you get most complaints uh, of anti-competitive behaviour? Uh, constru- construction deals, uh, repair works, uh, replacement of windows, or, 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 or. so. Actually, I, I don't have the um, detailed breakdown of the figures um, mm. before me, but um, definitely you mentioned renovation works, and um, the, 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 the commissions has brought multiple cases throughout the years. And renovation work or decoration work is actually um, quite a, a substantial portion of the commission's uh, history of enforcement action before the tribunal. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that, that was uh, Lester Lee. Lester Lee is the executive director of legal services at the Com- Competition Commission. Thank you very much for joining us on Back Chat this morning. Thank Unless, you. Let's go now to uh, Sandro Marco Colino uh, from Chinese University of Hong Kong, who's in the studio here with us and was nodding just now when we started. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but let, let, let's pick up on that last theme that w- important though this is, um, this particular issue is, this is just scratching the surface, isn't it, in terms of anti competitive behavior in, in the property market? Absolutely. But um, like uh, Leslie has just pointed out, uh, there have been three previous cartels busted in the renovation industry. Um, so, it, I mean, it's clearly something. Thing. I mean, can you imagine the amount of profits that can be made simply by just raising the prices a little bit, by agreeing to fix prices? And not just that, but also the impact that that has on our budgets, because this is very expensive. And whether it's um, pro- pro- um, privately owned apartments or whether they are uh, renewed, it's public housing. And then, the, of course, this comes out of our, of our tax budget. So, of course, this is something that, that has to be tackled and that makes a significant impact for the Hong Kong population. Is there a particular type of uh, uh, collusion on particular issues that is very strong? Well, I think that, I mean, there is cartels everywhere, um, very likely. I mean, uh, but I think that these uh, cartels on things like property, um, cars, um, they have a very, very big impact on our, because that, they really take up most of our budget. Um, so I think that focusing on, on those cartels are, is perhaps a, a very good idea because then that can have a... a In a way, a, yes. Of, I mean, flat, I mean, renovations and so on, it's very important to bust cartels there, but flat purchases, I mean, the commission was making the quite reasonable point. I mean, you know, when you buy a flat, that's um, probably the biggest purchase of your life, isn't it? Exactly. And exactly. even we're talking about one or two percent, one or two percent of the cost of a uh, Hong Kong flat is a huge amount of money. Exactly. And then they had, I mean, it came on a train away because there were these reports about the, the these internal memos that had this uh, stick to the two percent how stupid is that i mean uh, they, they, these are very established companies and how they don't know that they're price fixing when they start sending memos around i mean we all the time when when there is an investigation we find things like this um i mean i don't know if you know but back um some decades ago um there was an informant actually who um went he was working for a company that was involved in a lysine cartel and 
he went, uh, he was also accused of some crimes. So in exchange for, for leniency, he would go in wired and he would record the conversation of, of, of the employer. And he was able to record things like, yeah, the competitors are our friend, the customer is the enemy. Um, so lo this is very, very common. And also people leave it in writing. We also seen email correspondents saying, oh, this is very clever strategy, but don't leave it in writing because it could come back to bite us. Uh, so <laughs> we do see this very often. Okay, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's bring in uh, Peter Churchhouse, who's in our Queen's Church studio. Peter Churchhouse from uh, Portwood Capital. Welcome back to Back Chat. Um, it's been a while, yes, thank you. <laughs> it's good to have you back on the show. Um, I saw something you sent through yesterday when you were trying to put this in a perspective and sort of suggest, well, this, these kind of commission arrangements are fairly common around the world in the property market. Yeah, I mean, the big thing here really is, as uh, Lester Lee pointed pointed out, uh, is if two or more organizations get together to agree formally that prices should be rigged or set in that way, that's what's illegal. But if one company says to all its staff, this is the price you're going to ch charge, this is the fee you're going to charge, that's, I think, perfectly understandable and perfectly reasonable. Uh, but you look at the, the real estate industry around the world, uh, every country in the world has a pretty much a standard agency fee. Hong Kong's fees, by the way, are amongst the lowest in the world. Uh, if you look around uh, Europe, uh, countries like France, Italy and Germany have fees between 6 and 10%. Uh, if you look around the rest of Europe, it's between 3 to 4% up to 6%. US is 5 or 6%. Uh, Hong Kong is 2%. So it's a third of the, the fee levels that you see in most other parts of the world. But yes, if, t if companies get together and say, it's going to be 2%, guys, that's what we're going to charge. That is collusion. But how do they do it in the rest of the world? The fact that, uh, that the, the U.S. charges 6%, uh, all the agent, agents charge 6%. Uh, so how do they get to that point? Is that just custom, tradition, or have they quietly got together over the years and said, that's the fee we're going to charge, guys, so that, that's it? Now, uh, if, if that's what happens, is that... Is that defined as collusion? Uh, I'd, I'd be very interested to hear a legal, a legal view on that. Oh, but the two percent, the two percent in Hong Kong has been a well-established norm. I mean, that's Actually, what, I, what I think is. But even the last forty years that I've been in town, that's the number that I've always heard from property agents. So they really, what they did here was uh, trying to cut out these uh, negotiations because they probably went very extreme. The market so dipping and so few transactions that the agents were running all over each other. To to, uh, to give uh, favours to, uh, to the buyers and sellers. Yeah, well, if they're doing it on their own, uh, that's perfectly good competitive behaviour. But if two or three agents get together and say, guys, we've got to stop this, Otherwise uh, we kill ourselves. That's, that's collusion. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, and, and that's that's technically illegal. I think in the, the legislation in Hong Kong is not too dissimilar from uh, what we see in other parts of the developed world. So Hong Kong isn't doing anything different here. But what is interesting, is, as, as, uh, as I think Sandra mentioned, uh, we, we've seen threats of this sort of behavior uh, or discussions about this sort of behavior in other sectors as well. I remember a few years ago, there was a, a lot of chat about the supermarket chains getting together to rig rig prices. Uh, there was a, a similar case against the mobile telecommunication telecommunication companies oh, about five or six years ago where they sent a memo around all their staff almost identically worded uh, 
uh, within a week or two of each other uh, uh, telling their staff to set the fees at these levels or those levels. Uh, I'm not sure if that case was prosecuted, but it seemed very similar, in fact, to what we're seeing here. Let, let's go to uh, Sandro Marco Colino. Also, all kinds of those cases of air, airlines uh, cooperating. I mean, um, I think Cafe pulled out an agreement with Malaysian Airlines and after Competition Commission started investigating, and then uh, Food Panda and Deliveroo, the food, yes. the, the food delivery app. So, I mean, um, we're talking, of course, about this property case, but as Peter Churchill is saying, the uh, possibly many other examples across Hong Kong. Oh, cartels are very prevalent across industries. Of course, I mean, you think about it, it's 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 so much more lucrative to collude rather than to compete. <laughs> like you're saying... This if is you why can... you have competition laws, isn't it, right? Exactly. And and that's, I mean, if you think about it, um, if, if the competitors know, okay, well, I know what my competitors, uh, I know what they're, they're charging, and we've agreed not to, not to lower each other's, not to compete on pricing or any other aspect, then they can have a much easier life and their profits are not going to decrease Decrease because they know um, that the that the consumers basically they have to go to somebody else who's charging the same. So the market's going to be more or less um, equally shared between them. Um, so of course there, there is no incentive to 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 to, to compete basically. So um, yes, they I mean and also it's conduct that is very very hard to detect. So the chances are that you might get away with it. That's why we have policies like the leniency policy and significant investigative powers on the hands of the commission. Because you, otherwise, do you, you want to defend the leniency policy? I mean, uh, Leslie, who was this morning, and he was on the Chinese channel yesterday, and he came in with quite a bit of criticism for. I mean, in this particular case, what it has allowed is the largest property agency of all to basically. I, I know they could be um, sued by individual purchasers later, but uh, basically, it appears like they get off scot free by. Um, so by just, just think about we're talking about very lucrative conduct that they, they, the companies know it's illegal and normally they go to great lengths to hide the collusion. I mean, we know that sometimes we find these memos this time and we things. we have the memo, right? Yeah, well, so, but normally they go to, to great lengths to hide that they're colluding. So how do we, how do we find out that cartels are happening? And, and this is, cartels are defined as the cancer of the economy, um, theft by well-dressed thieves. So we know that this is extremely harmful. Um, so the only way, I mean, the commission might um, look at a market and think, oh, the prices are quite high here. Let's take a look. But that's, it, they're taking a gamble. It could be because they're colluding, could be because they're competing, or it could be that they're colluding, but we don't find any information. So one of the ways to uncover a cartel is to break the trust. So if you have a policy where you know that if, if we were here, instead of talking about the, the case, if we were here discussing, you know, market strategy as competitors, um, um, imagine that we knew, we know that there's this policy, we would be like, are you going to tell on me? Are you, you know, are you the one that's going to? So I might want to get there first. It creates a race to, to, to report the, the, the collusion. Um, and yes, the price to pay is that one of the cartelists, somebody that did something illegal, um, is going to not pay any fines. But think about that the fact that the people who have been harmed by that cartel will also be compensated because when, if there is now a decision saying, yes, there was illegal conduct, um, then uh, the, uh, we will the, the consumers will be able to go to the to the tribunal, claim damages, and that the, those damages will be paid by the other members of the cartel. But isn't that a terrible? Is, is it a terribly expensive process if they want to? The consumers want to go to court themselves. Well, it depends on. I mean, in some jurisdictions there are class actions. It's very we common, don't for instance. Tend yeah, to have that I know. In Hong I know. Kong, though, yeah. 
I know. I mean, uh, the thing is that in this case, since we, we need a, 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 an infringement decision, so you're quite certain if there has been an infringement decision, it's basically if you can prove that you've been harmed, there's a very, very high chance of success. Um, the problem that Hong Kong has that is if we have been harmed by another cartel that has not been detected by the commission, we can't just go to court. There's no standalone rights of uh, like enforcement. We can't go to court and say, um, we think there's a cartel in this industry and, and we want to sue this and we want to get damages. There has to be an infringement decision. This is a huge limitation. Uh, Peter Churchhouse, do you think anything's going to actually change as a result of this? Or the, the agencies be, there's such a huge numbers of property, I know it's cyclical, but such huge numbers of property agents in Hong Kong, they'll find other ways of doing this? Well, I, I, I think, I, I don't think much, much is going to change in the level of uh, what fees are going to be, whether they're going to, I don't think they're going to raise to 5% or something like that. But perhaps I might make a comment which might be seen as a bit... Um, uh, a, a, a bit unfavorable, but if we think about it, isn't it a bit disingenuous uh, to talk about uh, how the 2% agency fee is affecting the affordability of housing and the affordability of poor people in Hong Kong? Uh, the government itself is worsening affordability dramatically. It, it imposes a 15% stamp duty on people. This is seven times greater than the commission that people pay their, 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 their agents. Uh, and you see this around the world. VAT, uh, stamp duty, uh, it can be 21, 22% in some of these countries. So to talk about agency fees of 2% dramatically worsening affordability is in fact, I think, a little bit disingenuous. And I know I'll get criticism for that, but anyway, let's put it out there. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you, you, the point you were making very strongly earlier was it was not so much about the fees itself or about, it, it, I'm presuming the Competition Commission was saying the same thing, it was about the fact that there was collusion yeah. in setting the fees, right? Ab absolutely. And, and of course, yeah. if you you go back in the record stack a little bit four or five years ago and over a period of about five or ten years constantly in the media you were seeing written reports talking about how the government and property age and property developers are colluding mm -hmm. using that word colluding now there's no evidence whatsoever that I've ever seen or heard that the property developers and the government collude now, the, the, the news media was using that word repeatedly, which I thought was very unwise and very unfair because there was no evidence of that whatsoever. And, in fact, about, I'm surprised uh, that somebody didn't take legal action against them. Well, how about uh, government withdrawing land sales when it doesn't hit the minimum price? I mean, uh, that stops, that stops yes, markets yeah. from functioning. I mean, there is a collusion there. The government doesn't accept having to go below the price that they've, uh, they, they want to get. Well, that's, that, is that really collusion or is that just saying, look, it's, when I put my house on the market uh, and I want 10 million for it and if somebody offers me nine, I, I'm perfectly at right to say no. I want more. But it stops the, the competitive market behavior and it stops uh, uh, prices to follow the, the actual market situation and it gets, uh, gets you, you stop development of a market. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's might been my issue with Hong Kong government for many, many years. Uh, they have drip-fed land onto the market at a rate which guarantees that prices will be extraordinarily high and which guarantees that affordability will be very bad, some of the worst in the world. And uh, really, that's a result of government policy, which goes back to the very simple fact that up to a third of government revenues in Hong Kong come from property-related sources of one kind or another. 
from land sales, uh, land exchange entitlements, uh, um, uh, stamp duties, and so on. And so if we didn't have such high land prices, we'd have to increase taxes on incomes uh, and perhaps on profits and other VATs and so on and so forth. So in a way, the price we pay for our land policy uh, is that we get lower taxes elsewhere. So maybe it's not a bad way to operate the, the system, but what it does guarantee is that affordability in housing will be uh, stretched for sure. What you're basically saying is this is a small small, small bear in the overall scheme of things when it comes to the property mm -hmm. market. Ab absolutely. There are far more important variables which uh, drive affordability uh, than the fact that the agent's pay 1% or you pay your agent 1%, 2% or 3%, uh, government policies are actually driving affordability much more than the behaviour of uh, property agents, that's for sure. Okay, uh, we are going to take a break for the news, but uh, do stay with us. We're going to continue our discussion after news. Uh, both uh, Peter Churchhouse, who you just heard from uh, uh, Portwood Capital, and uh, Sandra Marco Colino from Chinese University of Hong Kong uh, are here in the studio. And we'll continue the discussion about um, uh, the Competition Commission's action against local property agents. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be looking forward to the United Nations uh, Climate Change Conference in Dubai, and we'll be talking to one of the uh, Hong Kong delegates who will be uh, attending that uh, conference. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on either topic, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Uh, the weather forecast is going to be mainly cloudy and dry with some sunny periods. Uh, temperatures going to generally be around 23 degrees, but they're going to fall down to 18 degrees at night, so it's going to be a bit colder. And indeed, actually, uh, to 16 degrees uh, later, although they should start to rise again in the middle of next week. Currently, 23 degrees. Relative humidity, 70%. It's 9.30. Here's Haley with the news. President Xi Jinping and President Biden have agreed to resume high-level military-to-military communication. Xinhua quoted President Xi as saying that China is consistently committed to a stable, healthy, and sustainable relationship with the United States. But he was also quoted as saying that China had interests that must be safeguarded, principles that must be upheld, and red lines that must not be crossed. He was speaking at a summit with President Biden near San Francisco. An employment platform says its research shows employers anticipate an average pay rise of 2.2% next year. JobsDB said employees in construction, food and beverage sectors will see the highest raise of up to 4.4%. And the first field truck to enter the Gaza Strip since the conflict began has passed through the Rafah crossing from Egypt. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Improving district administration and reforming district councils matter to the well-being of us all and are essential to the good governance of Hong Kong. Candidates who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and the community, please strive to win the valuable votes from the voters. Voters, please cast your vote on December 10th. Pick your preferred candidate. Let's build a nice and harmonious community together. Cast your vote at DC election on December 10th for a better community. The Chief Executive's 2023 Policy Address seeks to enhance the growth impetus of our economy and our well-being. We will press ahead with major infrastructure projects and different industries, attract top-notch enterprises and talent, develop Hong Kong as an international hub for higher education, and cultivate local technical professionals. We will promote childbearing and take good care of the elderly. We will protect our health and build our home together. A vibrant economy for a caring community. This policy address belongs to each of us. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gettings. Uh, guest presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. In the second half of the show, we're going to continue our discussion initially about uh, that uh, competition uh, commission case against uh, the biggest property agencies in Hong Kong for um, alleged price fixing in, t- in terms of when it comes to the uh, rebating commission that is offered to um, property buyers. Uh, uh, later on in the show, we're going to be talking to uh, one of Hong Kong's uh, youth delegates uh, to the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai. A reminder, I guess, as we uh, continue the discussion, we have uh, here in our in, in our studio uh, Sandra Marco Colino, who's associate professor at Faculty of Law at Chinese University of Hong Kong, and in our Queensway studio, we have Peter Churchhouse, who's founder of uh, Portwood Capital. Uh, Peter Churchhouse, maybe let's st- just step back a little bit, and uh, for, for those of our listeners, who probably most of our listeners who haven't actually uh, bought a Hong Kong property through a um, through a uh, through a property agency, um, let's explain what exactly. I mean, basically, you you get a dis- you especially in a market like this, you you get a discount on the list price by going through a property agency, right? The um, developers rebate to the um, to, to the property agents, and then the property agents pass on some of the money, and it benefits everyone. Benefits the property companies, doesn't it? They can keep the list prices higher, and the, even the government ends up charging stamp duty on the full amount, and you actually pay less. Yes, well, that that's right, and of course, developers always have uh, the incentive to get the highest price they pos- possibly can, or at least a uh, list price or notional price, right? Well, yes, and of course, the, the, the developers have all sorts of tricks, as we know, uh, on on uh, how to masquerade their pricing. You'll frequently see uh, in the media. Uh, such and such a development as being uh, sold at a 20% discount. Well, uh, we often see uh, that prices have been put up 20%, so in fact you can discount them by 20%. So there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of fuzzy stuff that goes on in real estate around the world, and it's, uh, I, I'm afraid it's just pretty common stuff. But by the same token, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, it's not good practice, and the Competition Commission is right, uh, to have various agencies in a particular business or actors in a particular business getting together to fix prices, whether that be in the telecoms business, in the the supermarket business, whatever it is, it's it's not good practice. And and I think uh, uh, the the Competition Commission is right to to deal with this. Uh, And and it's it's around the world. There are similar uh, activities happening in the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, etc. So it's not uncommon uh, for this kind of practice to happen. Is there any sympathy? I was going to say, is there any sympathy in the market for the property agents? I mean, the markets have collapsed. Uh, the very little transactions. I mean, it's uh, you know the song from the Bee Gees, "Staying Alive." Uh, tend you know, to be a lot of sympathy for property agents in Hong Kong. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't have a, you right I, I, I don't have a lot of uh, sympathy for property agents because they put all the posters and stickers all over my lamp poles in Pofalama <laughs> and make it a mess, uh, and they, they they don't remove them. So I, no, I don't I don't respect uh, property agents necessarily. But but there is a staying alive issue, isn't it? I mean, it, it's not about fixing the prices; it's it's, it's stopping discounts uh, and 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 eating each other up in, in a very poor market situation and there, there's families that, that uh, depend on the revenue and the income that the people have. I mean, there is, there is that kind of sentiment out there. Uh, to, to, what, to what extent has they been playing through? I mean, to what extent are the property agents really suffering, losing jobs, losing incomes, family in trouble? Well, put it this way, you hark back to the reputation issue. Uh, I think there's an old adage that says the three most disliked professions in the world are uh, used car salesmen, real estate agents, Mm -hmm. and lawyers. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I'm not quite sure which one should be at the top of that list, but real estate does attract a lot of criticism around the world. Uh, and, and, and there is a, there is a, a bit of a, a livelihood thing here for sure. Uh, property sales are down dramatically. Uh, I think last month there were about uh, around, around the 3,000 sales uh, in the month. Uh, the average in Hong Kong over the long term is more between five and 7,000. If you get below 4,000, you're getting into to be uh, into a bit of a, a slump in the industry. If you're getting much above seven or eight thousand, you're getting to be in a bit of a bubble. Uh, we are certainly looking like we're in a bit of a slump in terms of property sales. And of course, yes, if property sales aren't happening, that means a lot of agents aren't earning a salary, they aren't earning a commission, uh, and they're struggling to pay their own bills. Uh, it could be argued, well, there's far too many agents in Hong Kong anyway. So let, let the system adjust. Uh, but you think about it, uh, agents in Hong Kong don't get paid much as a salary. They get a very minimal salary or even zero salary. So their uh, income is highly dependent on their ability to get deals done. And that's how they get their, their, their income. So, yeah, I can understand there is a bit of a livelihood issue. And we, we are certainly in a slump in terms of property sales right now. How long is that going to continue? Who knows? But probably we will see the numbers of real estate agents drop dramatically if this continues over the course of the next six months or so. I don't see Sandra looking very pleased with the, uh, the discussion that you and I just started. So, Sandra. Um, yeah, well, actually, Sandra, isn't it? it's very easy to take action. It is, as um, Peter Churchill just said, one of the three most unpopular uh, professions, perhaps. It's very easy to take enforcement action against a group that's already so unpopular in society. Well, I think what made it easy as well is what we know. that and, they, and they, they were this, rather stupid. They, about, they, yeah. they, they, of course, of course. And, of course, the Commission had to act on the basis of this. But let, let's, let's just take a, a, one step at a time. So... Um, what you just said about, well, they need to survive, this is actually something that is commonly argued. We saw this, you know, uh, now with COVID, with the credit crunch and um, with the financial crisis of 2009. The companies were saying, well, you know, we, we can't survive. We have a problem, you know. And, well, the, 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 the competition authorities are normally very clear. They say, well, you can't pass your problems to your consumers because they're also mm -hmm. struggling in the same crisis. Um, and that doesn't really help the situation. And it might be that the market is in need of restructuring, natural restructuring. Sometimes some, some companies disappear, but that's not something that we can do much about. Um, and then can I also go back to, I mean, and I know that uh, Peter agrees with me, he agrees that the, the action was, was right. Um, but can you imagine a situation where we were discussing, um, I, I, yeah, I stole someone's wallet, but you know the government policies. I mean, that's going to co that's costing you much more. I mean, that how can that be an excuse, right? You did something. Cartels are illegal. Um, they are say effectively. If somebody took your wallet, you would be very angry. Well, if 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 somebody um, charges you a lot more than than they should, uh, then it's I, I, I want to pick up on that example. If someone took your wallet, yes, it's illegal. Um, and if they later admitted, they would still be prosecuted. They wouldn't be given. They might be given a reduced sentence for admitting, but they wouldn't be like a centerline that they would be told that um, the, your, as long as you testify against your, um, the other person who participated, you get, you get off free. Well, it depends because it depends sometimes if you, are, if you know, if you can provide evidence of another crime, you can get mm -hmm. some, some immunity or some leniency. And this happens not just in competition law. How do you think the FIFA scandal was uncovered? It was uncovered because there was somebody who had committed, I don't know how many crimes, was going to spend 70 years in jail. And he was told, well, if you
you give us evidence of FIFA being corrupt, we will condone some of your some of your uh, sins, basically. But, um, so that's what happens in every in every as in every legal. In and, and your big argument here is that markets are healthier if they can they can shrink and grow with with the economic development and not being uh, stymied by by cartels. I mean, of course, in some cases, there's some markets that might require some punctual intervention, um, but certainly, I mean, it's not uh, colluding does not solve a problem, and certainly colluding. What happens is, if uh, we're also talking about taxes, well, the taxes in theory go to um, social things, um, mm -hmm. but this money just goes into the pockets of the cartelists, so it doesn't benefit anyone but the cartelists. Yeah. We're almost out of time, but let me bring a couple of comments from listeners, and then we, maybe we go back to Peter Churchhouse for some closing thoughts. Uh, first of all, Mike says that uh, real estate charges of one to two percent in Hong Kong is because of the services provided in the U.S. Agents six percent charge is partly due to their responsibilities. They research the availability of the properties actually sellable. Mm. Ownership is determined by a lawyer's research, a lawyer's search in Hong Kong. That's not agents. That's a good point. You have to pay the lawyer separately, don't you, right? Yep. Um, and then uh, Colin's picking up on a point that uh, Paul raised just now. He says, um, why don't the government departments do something about these property agencies who post illegal flyers everywhere? <laughs> Lampposts, traffic stops. Clearly the government are turning a blind eye. Thank you very much, Colin. Uh, Peter Churchhouse, your closing thoughts? Uh, well, I think the issue of posters and flyers everywhere is very valid. It's sort of it's a, it's a kind of visual pollution, and uh, I, I certainly sympathise with Paul on that. We we find it all around our neighbourhood as well. So I'd be very happy to see them uh, take some action on that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much to our guest in the main segment of the show this morning uh, that you just heard just there, Peter Churchhouse, who's the uh, founder of Portwood Capital, and also here in our studio. Thank you to Sandra Marco Colino, associate professor at the Faculty of Law, Chinese University of Hong Kong. Stay with us. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat. Uh, in the closing segment of uh, this morning's show, we're going to be looking forward to, to the uh, 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai later this month. Of course, climate change is always a, a, a topic very much in the news, but particularly after all the weather phenomenon we've seen this year, something very much people are, are thinking about. And, and uh, a, a delegation of young Hong Kongers organised uh, by CarboCare InnoLab will be um, will be attending. Uh, we have with us uh, Kwok Hu Chung, who is the Senior Programme Officer of Carbo and care in a lab and we also have one of the attendees annabelle ho and annabelle ho is a climate advocacy training for youth graduate um we are delegate for carbon care in a lab and if i'm right you also describe yourself as a climate musician right okay well we'll come to that in a moment uh, but um but let, let, let's start with uh kwok hu chung who maybe can explain a bit about uh, what carbon care in a lab are doing and this uh, youth delegation yep Sure, thanks uh, very much. And uh, Carbon Kano Lab is a local uh, NGO uh, which focuses on uh, issues related to climate change. So our aim is to uh, nurture a group of uh, people in Hong Kong with their knowledge, with their expertise, with their innovation, and most importantly, with their passion to uh, take 
uh, different climate change action mm. and uh, to uh, mitigate to the impacts of climate change and also help the communities to adapt to the impacts of climate change. And uh, so we see that uh, the voice of uh, young people is very important because uh, we had been uh, to uh, previous uh, COP uh, in the past few years and also we uh, had attended some uh, local uh, climate uh, issues, a meeting, conference, etc. And we find that uh, the voice of the young people are usually overlooked and also uh, the young people are the one who uh, who will suffer uh, from the impacts of climate climate change because of uh, what uh, the adults, the older generations mm. uh, have done in the past. So that uh, we would uh, like to nurture a group of young people with their uh, passion, with their knowledge, uh, to uh, equip them with uh, different uh, skills, knowledge, uh, maybe network, to uh, take their own uh, climate action, uh, both locally and internationally. So that uh, maybe in Hong Kong perspective, uh, we would uh, like the uh, Hong Kong government to uh, mitigate to the uh, climate change uh, to achieve the um, net zero by 2050, uh, which is committed by the Hong Kong government, and also uh, to um, uh, support the vulnerable groups uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, and also in maybe regional or international uh, platform, uh, we also hope that uh, the young people can have their voice and also to contribute to the uh, global climate action. How many people going? Uh, the, we are. We will have a total of uh, eleven people. Uh -huh. So uh, we will have uh, seven uh, youth delegates and also uh, four staff uh, from the Carbon Care Inno Lab. Uh, we will be uh, divided among ourselves uh, for week one and week two because uh, the COP twenty eight uh, will last for uh, about two weeks. Yeah. So that uh, seven of us uh, will be going uh, for the week one, and then uh, the remaining of us uh, will be going on the uh, week two. And you get funding from government or from private uh, institutions? Uh, we got the funding. Uh, from uh, not not from the government, uh, not from, from the government. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, mainly from the uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange Foundation. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, let's bring in one of those youth delegates. With us is uh, Annabelle Ho. Uh, tell us about your. Are you nervous? Excited about going? What kind of what kind of issue? Have you done anything like this before? Um, actually, I'm very excited. Um, I've never been to global conferences before, mm -hmm. like um, climate um, strike, etc. So I'm very excited in meeting all the international youth coming together, um, and also having um, because some of us, some of our delegate, will also um, deliver some sections in the COP28. So uh, we are preparing for it, and we are quite ready for the COP28 now. Okay, but what is yours? Are you going to speak on anything? Yes, uh, actually um, my proposal has been selected by the Children and Youth Pavilion. So actually I'm a climate musician. I use music, I play violin um, to deliver a climate change education workshop in Hong Kong. So uh, actually I started this like a few months ago. How does that work? Very, um, the, the response uh, is very good, very positive because people like music and some of the Public. Um, when they talk about climate change, uh, sometimes we're quite resistant in knowing it because they think, oh, it's hard to achieve. But uh, by using music, this kind of soft approach, they are able to like learn the music and also climate change in a more easy way. So uh, a lot of, um, like I usually collaborated with the social enterprise and NGO, they really love, love it. So maybe after COP28, I also can add top COP28 elements in the climate change um, 
education workshop. Are, are you taking your violin to, um, to, yes. to COP28 with you? Yeah, I'm going to perform with other youths. <laughs> okay, so we're going to see you on social media playing music? <laughs> yeah, definitely, sure, yeah. Oh, fantastic. And then, so when you come back, how does it work playing music and, and, and working with youth? I mean, are you going to play together with them or are you playing for them and have discussions? I mean, how, does, how do you do the integration? Yeah, so actually um, the workshop that I'm delivering is an interactive workshop where I will play music uh, mm-hmm. with my student. Actually, my side business is um, teaching violin. Okay. And uh, yeah, I will pl- uh, play violin with them. And with the interactive dialogue, we are going to discuss and explore some sustainability topics such as how can we do on individually um, on the climate action. And also we'll discuss about problem underwater or even like um, the climate action. So that will be um, more interactive and more interesting in learning right. it. And it sounds like fun too. Uh, uh, Mr. Kork, uh, you Chung, what I wanted to hear from you is, so where, where can we make a, a progress in Hong Kong? What are the key issues? I mean, if we want to make any change, where is you know, your, your organization, where do you see the biggest next step? We've, we've cleaned up the tailpipe of the, of, the, of the cars, we're trying to get new engines on the buses, and there's a lot of stuff happening in Hong Kong, and the air has improved over the, over the, the last decade. But what, 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 where do you see a big change that the Hong Kong government and the, Hong, the people of Hong Kong can make? Yeah, I think uh, there are a few uh, areas that uh, Hong Kong can still make a contribution. The first is, uh, of course, to uh, help uh, keep the uh, temperature rise within uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius. And one important thing is about uh, mitigation so that, uh, for example, in Hong Kong, uh, the government has uh, committed to achieve uh, net zero uh, by 2050, which I has uh, mentioned earlier. And um, from our perspective, uh, we think that uh, the Hong Kong government uh, should set a more ambitious uh, target to uh, achieve a net zero because uh, we see that uh, the uh, we, we are not so sure that the Hong Kong government is uh, really on track uh, on this uh, target, and we also uh, see that uh, the renew- the use of renewable energy in Hong Kong is still uh, far from enough. Uh, it is uh, lagging behind from other uh, developed cities in Asia, and also uh, because Hong Kong has a lot of uh, potential to develop uh, renewable energy, uh, but in Hong Kong the proportion of uh, renewable energy uh, for the um, electricity generation is still uh, very low. So that uh, we hope that the Hong Kong government can um, uh, upscale uh, the use of renewable energy in Hong Kong. <clears throat> another another thing is about uh, the uh, impact of climate change on the vulnerable groups in Hong Kong because um, they usually uh, they, they are the least uh, group of people uh, who are responsible for the climate change. But uh, because of their uh, social economic perspective uh, aspects, uh, they are usually uh, the, the people that uh, suffer the most. Uh, so that, uh, for example, <clears throat> earlier um, in the past few years, uh, we have uh, developed uh, some uh, climate community dialogues uh, to have a dialogue with the uh, different vulnerable groups of uh, people in Hong Kong. Uh, for example, the uh, residents living in the subdivided uh, flats, um, the persons with disabilities, uh, or maybe with uh, the uh, chronic uh, people with a chronic illness, and uh, we see that uh, they are being suffered uh, under the impacts of climate change. But uh, the uh, the Hong Kong uh, Climate Action Plan uh, 2050 uh, do not have a lot of uh, coverage about uh, how to um, 
support the vulnerable group uh, in Hong Kong to adapt to the impacts of climate change. Mm. And so that uh, this is a really important issue about uh, climate justice to make sure that uh, no one is uh, left behind. That's, that's uh, on the impact yeah. side, yeah. yeah. But, but on the causes, Annabelle, uh, I mean, we just had a whole discussion about property, you know, so maybe let's look at property in Hong Kong. I mean, uh, properties leak energy in Hong Kong, isn't it? I mean, they've got glass walls. They, they, from all the reports that I've read is that one of the biggest sectors where we could make improvements is is tightening up on the energy consumption in buildings. So are we doing enough? Is government tough enough on the property developers or, and property managers to make sure that we reduce the energy consumption uh, in buildings? Yeah, so we see um, government have been trying very hard in um, the reduction of the uh, commercial building um, energy consumption. So according to the Climate uh, Action Plan 2015 um, issued by the Hong Kong government, we can see they are um, using new technologies on those buildings and they are trying to use some labels on the efficiency of the energy that they use. We see the determination on government on um, um, helping the commercial sector in, in reducing their um, energy usage. However, uh, what we also observe, our youth um, um, delegate also observed in the Climate Action Plan 2015 is usually those um, policies are mainly related to infrastructure. It's not human-centric and we um, believe that nature-based approach to the uh, climate change solution is the most ultimate important. So um, other than like uh, focusing on the commercial side, government should also consider about like human-centric and human rights in their um, Climate Action Plan 2025. And how does that relate to properties then? If you, mm. uh, use, uh, what, what, how are we going to be changing our behaviour? Mm. Um, one of it is changing our behaviour, but at the same time, maybe John already, already mentioned a bit. So some um, people living in a poor um, environment, they need help because they know they don't know it's climate change affecting them or how can they really like improve their environment. So um, we uh, definitely think like human-centric approach is one element that government missed in their climate action plan. Okay, we got an interesting question coming from listener Eric. Eric says, can I ask the speakers who are attending the, uh, the COP28 in uh, Dubai if they have already offset their carbon from their flights to and from car- the call. Yeah, this is a very good question. And yeah, uh, I, I think that uh, not only... Because uh, there are a lot of you uh, going, aren't there, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, but also uh, the COP28 uh, is... Um, the COP is... Uh, it's going to be an air-conditioned yeah, hall, isn't it, right? Uh, I mean, it's it's an important uh, occasion, an important venue to, um, for everyone uh, in the world to uh, discuss about climate change issues and also uh, really uh, for the countries to reach uh, ambitious uh, agreement to... Uh, to um, minimize the impacts of uh, climate change in every aspect uh, so that uh, we still see that uh, this is a very uh, precious opportunity uh, to have a youth uh, voice being heard and also to uh, contribute to the global climate action. Okay, so, but that's not actually an answer to the question our listener asked. I mean, you said it's, it's a very important occasion, but he, he asked whether you, are, whether you and all the delegates are going to offset your carbons flying there. Yeah, uh, we uh, for choosing the flight, uh, we we have been uh, looking into these aspects, and uh, we are choosing the flight uh, carefully to make sure that uh, we uh, during the flight uh, we have uh, the 
the least uh, impact uh, to the climate. But that's okay. not offset. That uh, yes. is minimizing. But <laughs> but offsetting. I mean, there's an answer for offsetting, isn't it? I mean, it's the the, the work that you do in Hong Kong. To Sorry, Paul. Let, let me just bring in one other related comment. This is uh-huh. a bit more extreme. Another comment from a listener. Um, uh, the UN UN Climate Change Conference, and they all fly in on their jets. I would take this conference a lot more seriously if it was held in the Antarctic, and they all arrived by boat or or, or, or entirely online. Please continue. That's from Mike, <laughs> or, by the way. Yes. Or, or entirely online. But but you, you are doing you. you you're taking the learnings uh, that from that this conference and then taking it back to Hong Kong and and trying to make an impact on that. so uh, you, your offsetting is is going to be improvements that you're going to see in your community work in 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 your uh, approach to government is it, so that's why my question is um, you know how hard are you going to push government on changing regulations many of the standards for buildings are voluntary I mean, there is no, you know, the mandatory uh, rules on, on buildings, energy efficiency are very minimal. I mean, it's, it's all advisory and, and, and people are suggested that they could, but there is no law forcing the, the building industry to, uh, to, uh, to harder action on, the, on, the, on energy reduction. Um, yeah, uh, we, we uh, actually uh, before um, we uh, go to the COP, uh, we already had uh, met with the uh, undersecretary uh, from the Environment and Ecology uh, mm-hmm. Bureau to uh, present uh, the youth statement on climate change. Uh, so that uh, we made a few uh, requests uh, to the Hong Kong government in different aspects of uh, climate change. Uh, maybe uh, Annabelle later on can speak about that a little. And um, we also know that uh, the Hong Kong government is sending uh, delegates to the COP28 as well. And so so that uh, we hope that uh, we can uh, continue to push uh, for the Hong government to take uh, more ambitious actions and to really uh, <clears throat> to uh, address the impacts of climate change. And so, so Annabelle, mm. I mean, you're... Yeah. yeah, I can share a bit. So um, during the meeting that we had with the Environmental and Ecology uh, Bureau, we shared about the Hong Kong Youth Statement on the um, Climate Action 2023. Mm. So actually, we have five demands. So the first one is we would like to have a more people-centered app plan. The second is to include human rights in consideration in the climate action plan. The third is to have a more amb- ambitious plan to keep 1.5 Celsius te- temperature by 2030. And the fourth is to increase the transparency of climate finance. And fifth is to have more climate education in the Hong Kong curriculum. So during the meeting, we discussed about the statement and the um, area that we would like to push Hong Kong, every, uh, Hong Kong government to work more on and um, definitely back when um, after we um, uh, complete COP28 we will definitely um, engage in more like government government um, discussion and also continue to meet with the government officials to follow up on what how can Hong Kong youth and also their action plan can be enhanced. Mm. Let's pick up a bit more on that the the youth statement on the five five points you just mentioned. I'm looking at the executive summary here for the first one, the human-centered adaptation approach and you talk about various things. One of them you say prohibit mega projects and redevelopment schemes that are detrimental to Hong Kong's climate resilience. Mm. Um, can you expand a bit more? I mean, are, are you talking about Northern Metropolis, Lantel Tomorrow? I mean, those, those are mega projects, surely? Yeah, because um, during um, like this kind of project, they did a lot of like um, damage to the environment. So we um, all of our youth delegates believe that nature-based approach is very important. Um, we couldn't like damage the uh, environment just to um, um, achieve uh, maybe economic growth. So um, in our uh, statement, you can see we would like to. S- 
um, like stop the government in like continue to developing and ignore the nature importance of nature. But you didn't presumably get a favourable response when you raised that with the government. Uh, yeah, always the government will always considered about the economic growth. But as a youth, we love nature, we love our environment. Definitely, we could want don't want to see they are being damaged. But are you saying that all projects in Hong Kong should come to a stop? Um, not all of the project, but the project that um, damage the environment. And uh, also, uh, we can also refer to some um, reports that um, published by Hong Kong NGOs or social enterprise that will be very valuable. Mm -hmm. they, they are valuable op opinions for the Hong Kong government to take as reference. So people can find uh, this online, sorry. this information? <laughs> yes. Okay, in uh, Care, what is your website? Carpet Care in OLAP. Okay, I'm sorry, we, 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 we are out of time there, so I will have to draw it to a close. Thank okay. you very much to Kwok, Kwok Yu Chung and to Annabelle Ho uh, joining us to talk about uh, the UN Climate Change Conference in Dubai, and of course Annabelle will be attending that. Good luck there. Um, uh, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, Andrew, Andrew Work and Rainbow Lung will be here tomorrow so join, join back chat again then